Hello, hello, and welcome in to the 11th episode of the Pyro Pulse podcast. As usual, I am the Heartbeat, and on this episode, this mini-sode in the Draft Primer, we will be going over how to analyze preseason action. And I want to start off this podcast, which is being recorded currently, it is about 6.45 at night on the West Coast. And Odell Beckham Jr. has just left the preseason game with the Browns with an apparent injury. He was carted off into the locker room, or he, he walked off into the locker room, but then he, he fell to the ground, and there, there's that picture of him on the ground. It's spreading across the internet. Um, all reports are showing that he has a sprained ankle, so the hit looked a lot worse than it, than it should be. So we're hoping we don't get any more bad news on that, but he should be okay. Worst case scenario would be a high ankle sprain, which would be uh, four to six weeks. But we're hoping for the best on that front. And with that said, let's go on to some, uh, some good news and let's look at these preseason action. The first thing I'm going to say about preseason is do not, do not, do not look at the statistics. If you look at the statistics, those statistics will, you'll be incepted by those statistics. They'll sit in your head. And when you're on draft day and you're choosing between two people in the 11th round after a couple beers, you're going to say, oh, I remember James Conner. He had a 98-yard game in the preseason. I'm going to go with him. And that just, it just doesn't matter. Statistics don't matter in the preseason. So I'm going to tell you what I think does matter. In the preseason, Basically, all of the plays are standard plays. So they're standard blocking. They're not really doing many blitz packages on on defense. They're typically in a uh, a man on the outside or a cover two, cover three. So basic sets. The quarterbacks have a very easy time reading the defense. They don't really have to call many things out. The the offensive line doesn't have that many restrictions any any rules with it and they're just really they're really playing the game straight up. They don't have to really stunt or anything. So it's just what you're seeing is basically a scrimmage or an, an all-star game where the players, they just don't really play together that often. So we don't want to look at the stats. We don't want to look at what happens. But what we want to do is we want to use the eye test to see some raw talent because that's how people are going to really stand out is their raw talent in the preseason. So I'm going to take you through some of the notes that I have from the preseason. And the way I'm going to do this we're finishing up preseason week two right now. This is the last game going on with the, the Giants and the Browns. So I'm going to take you through week one. I'm going to say who stood out positively and then who stood out negatively. And then we're going to do the same thing for week two. So you guys can go ahead and do this on your own because really it's your analysis, your evaluation, and the picks are yours. So you should go out and get the guys that you like and you want to root for. Starting with week one, the upgrades, the players who I believe upgraded their stock. I'm going to start with Terrence West. He's a plotter, but he looked good. He consistently moved the pile forward, and he got a score. Robbie Anderson looked great with a couple of deep grabs, so keep that in mind. Robbie Anderson is definitely a late-round sleeper potential. The Tennessee offensive line was really moving that Jets line back. And they should have a pretty formidable front seven despite their offensive struggles this year. On the Jets' side, rookie running back Elijah McGuire looked really good. 
He was running through some arm tackles, and he had very decisive cuts upfield. Paul Richardson of the Seahawks, man, he made that diving catch, and I am just amazed with his hands. And the way he can contort his body in midair, I think if he were on a different offense, if he made a similar a similar move like Golden Tate over to Detroit in a more pass-heavy offense, I think he would be a really, really good fantasy player. But that said, in Seattle, he's kind of dug deep below Jimmy Graham and Doug Baldwin as their options. Mike Evans is getting some serious targets, and I believed he could be in line for regression similar to Nuke Hopkins, but I don't think it's going to be that steep of a drop from what I've seen. The Dalton to A.J. Green connection looked great. He was getting targeted heavily, and I'm going to say you can disregard that Dalton interception in the end zone because it looked to me like that was a pre-decided call that they said they were going to attack, and he just threw it up there for grabs. Joe Mixon, he looked like a ghost out there. He was just forcing missed tackles left and right. In the open field, he's a magician. He looks really great. And Charles Sims cuts look surprisingly quick as well. I think he's a dark horse for replacing Jaquiz Rogers straight up in those first three weeks as they're waiting for Doug Martin to come back. So keep Charles Sims in the back of your mind when it comes for draft day. Chris Conley was burning cornerbacks all night. There was a little scare when he got hit low and the knee contorted around, but he came back and he should be okay. San Francisco's defensive back, I don't know, I believe it's Patrick Robinson. He really stood out making plays. I think he could make a big difference on that defense. And we're going to look at the Indianapolis Colts. If Andrew Luck does miss time, I've seen it twice now, in week one and week two. Scott Tolzien went to Jack Doyle early and often. He should be the only player on the Colts that's not negatively impacted by missing Luck based on these preseason games. And, but man, that Colts offensive line looks bad. I wonder if they can even protect Luck for a couple games if he is to come back. And then Kenny Galladay, man, he's going to be a superstar. He made two great grabs. Uh, No, settle down. We've seen this a bunch of times from the Lions where players make some big plays in preseason that just doesn't come into fruition. Amir Abdullah. Kelvin Benjamin looks normal, and I think this is important because of the reports that he came into camp at around 280 pounds. The fact that he was going up and making some nice plays, he should be in that wide receiver two, wide receiver three border. Damier Bird of the Panthers looked really electric with two scores. I don't think he really has a role in their offense. But he could be a sleepy pick on their DST to bring a couple of kicks back. Kicks or punts. And boy, was Christian McCaffrey impressive. He looks quicker than Reggie Bush. And it could just be that he's white, but he is deceptively fast. I think it's also notable about McCaffrey that he got reps at Every possible position that you could think of, they're going to use him in as many ways as they can. I really like McCaffrey this year. And Tom Savage looked very good in the pocket, moving up through pressure and making decisions. I think he's basically settled in that starting role, at least for the beginning of the season. And though 
Deshaun Watson didn't match Savage's pocket presence, his ability on the ground could dynamically change this offense, and that would greatly positively impact Lamar Miller in the ground game. And finally, the last positive I saw from week preseason week one was Dalvin Cook. And his play didn't necessarily stand out, but what stood out was his usage. Time and time again, they went to him, and they went to him a lot. He could have around 275 touches this year, and that basically puts him as a lock for a top 24 running back. And now let's go to the players that really disappointed me in week one. Kirk Cousins. He looked uncomfortable out there against Baltimore. His feet were always choppy. I'm, I'm not going to say downgrade him yet, because he could just be having trouble syncing up with those new wide receivers. And the fact that there's no McVay calling plays anymore, even though I believe Gruden calls their plays. But look at Mike Taglier's Twitter post about the Deshaun Jackson effect. He basically said, every time Jackson played with a quarterback, his yards per attempt went up by half a yard. And every time he left, they dropped back down half a yard. So there's a pretty sticky connection between Deshaun Jackson and his ability to stretch the field along with the quarterback's yards per attempt. So maybe a slight downgrade for Cousins and an upgrade for Winston from that. And Brashad Perriman, he had a deep drop that hit him right in the chest. If he's going to be a a third-year breakout player, he's got to make that play. Buck Allen... The, the Ravens running back, I believe he's like third string now. He's the ultimate jag, and the jag is just a guy. Samaj Perrine fumbled really, really badly, and my note that I wrote down was, did he forget how to running back? And then a note on Austin Safarian Jenkins. Where is Austin Safarian Jenkins? After all the words that he was standing out in camp, he doesn't seem to be getting any targets, and at 6'5 or 6'6, six, six, they should be able to get him the ball. And we got a couple more from week one, but this is really going to round out week one. We didn't get much starters playing in week one, but that's typical preseason. So Doug Martin, I didn't think he looked great against the Bengals. He kind of cut shortly, so he, he short-stepped his cuts a little bit, and he wasn't really hitting the hole. So, Doug Martin, they've said he's not a guarantee for that starting job when he does come back. And I think there is some actual weight to that. It's not just coach speak. And Jeremy Hill, he looked slower than normal. He might be the biggest dad runner in the league, which is something that J.J. Zacharyson loves to say about players. He's a dad runner. And Jaquiz Rogers, he's looking more and more like a jag. He could be beaten out by Sims for the starting job before the first three games start. And when you look at the Houston Texans, the number of two tight end sets they ran really, really worried me about the outlook on C.J. Fedorowicz. I think Griffin and the rest of that tight end crew could really cannibalize C.J.F. this year. And I think that causes a little bit of hesitation in drafting him as one of the higher end tight end twos. And that wraps it up for week one. So now I'm going to go into week two. And keep in mind that when you're comparing, when you're looking at these games, you really have to start with a fresh slate. You have to completely start over because these guys, they're only playing in like one or two series. They're not getting into that game flow where you really see the consistent measures and 
I mean, you really can't make any conclusions from preseason action except maybe for that week three where the starters play well into the second half. So who got upgraded from their week two action? Eddie Lacy was the first one I saw. And for reference, Eddie Lacy wasn't the top upgrade. He was just the first game that happened that week. Lacey was running really low to the ground, and although he has heavy feet, that's a positive thing for running backs because they, when they have their feet under them, they can really control and balance their body. And on every tackle, he seemed to be falling forward, which is a good sign with that weak offensive line. Even if he stood up at the line of scrimmage, he could still turn that into a two-yard gain. Russell Wilson was looking really good in play action. He was going to Doug Baldwin without any resistance from the defense, and his feet looked really good. They're always under him when he's rolling out all the time. Russell Wilson looked really good, and it looks like there's not going to be any form of hangover from that early lower leg injury that he had last year. Russell Wilson looked really good. The one thing that I have as a pause for concern with Russell Wilson is he didn't really have that much zip on his balls. I have to go back and look at maybe 2015 to see if he had a lot, of, a lot more zip on those balls. It looked like he was making a lot of touch passes, and that could be an issue if he has lost some zip on the ball. But again, hold off. I'm going to look into it, and I'll let you guys know. Sam Bradford really impressed me, which was surprising. He threw some really nice intermediate balls, so from that 10 to 25-yard range, and he was hitting wide receivers in stride. If this is something that he can consistently add to his game, he's going to go from a, a quarterback streamer to a potential low-end QB1. So keep him in mind. Doug Martin looked a lot sharper in this game, and Jameis Winston was peppering him with checkdowns over the middle. So, like I said, we really can't make any conclusions from these preseason games. Deshaun Jackson has not lost a step. I talked about the Deshaun Jackson impact. He had a, a nice little end around where he just blew by some defenders. They, couldn't, they could not get an angle on him. He's so fast. Also from the Bucks game, O.J. Howard impressed me with his blocking. The Bucks ran a lot of two tight end sets. I, I, they did last year, but with Brait, that worried me about Brait and Howard cannibalizing each other. And I, I think this still could be an issue because we saw Luke Stalker out there way too often. Chad Henney actually looked good coming in after Bortles. He, uh, it might be because we compare him to Bortles naturally, but he had a nice deep throw to Allen Robinson where Allen Robinson dropped. I think that could be because Allen Robinson just is not used to being hit with the ball. And back to the uh, back to Tampa Bay. Josh Huff really stood out to me. I don't see him as a, a big weapon in their offense, but he could make an impact on their special teams and returning kicks. They could be a surprise this year in Tampa Bay. Marcus Mariota again looked really, really sharp. And as much as I want to, he's my quarterback four, and I don't know if I can move him up any higher. But if you want Mariota. You're going to have to reach for him, but he could be worth it. Christian McCaffrey, again, looks quicker than Reggie Bush. I have him slated in already as a top 15 running back, regardless of format. He looked amazing. 
And then this is a little bit of a joke, but in the Tennessee game, is that Matt Castle out there or Bo Jackson? In one of his uh, one of his scrambles, Matt Castle just ran over one of the uh, the Carolina Carolina linebackers. I thought that was funny. This this is more of a joke than anything else, but Matt Castle ran over a linebacker. Staying in Tennessee, Taewon Taylor, he always seems to be open. I wonder if that's the defense just forgetting him, or if he just is one of those guys that has a knack of always being open. He could be a potential threat if one of those big receivers in Tennessee goes down. He looked really sharp. And Jonu Smith, again in Tennessee, is somebody that you're going to want to keep on your dynasty raider. He really looks the part of an heir apparent to Delaney Walker. He looked like he had all the physical traits. It's just a matter of getting him in there. Go grab him in Dynasty. I don't think he's going to be worth it this year. Delaney Walker is a very good player. But in Keepers and Dynasties, Jonu Smith. He is worth a late-round flyer. And I believe there's a little conundrum going on with Alex Smith in Kansas City. The impact of Patrick Mahomes on that team could have Alex Smith out there trying to prove that he's not just a game manager. He could be going deep, and he could put put up a good amount of fantasy points. He's still a very, very solid quarterback, too, in my opinion. And Kareem Hunt. I nicknamed him the cockroach because no matter who seems to try to tackle him, he just doesn't go down. He doesn't die. I really like what I saw from Kareem Hunt. He could be in line for a, a David Johnson type of, of rookie year where he, around like week eight later in the season, he really takes over as the featured back. But it's going to take a while for him to, to, take, to uh, displace Spencer Ware for that starting spot. And now let's look at Joe Mixon because in week one, he looked really quick, really decisive, just really good. Week two, he was kind of dancing around. You saw him dance, get stuck at the line. And this, this is a cause for concern with Joe Mixon because if he does this dancing too often, he might not be that all-around back that we, we tend to think he is. It's going to be something to watch. I think as he progresses as a pro, he'll fix this. But keep an eye on Joe Mixon dancing in the backfield. And staying in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, he, his decision-making took a real increase in, from week one to week two. From week one, he made that, uh, that, that backside post-touchdown play or a slant. I don't even know what to call it, but he, he scrambled outright and threw across his, across his body into the end zone. That's just something that, I mean, Andy Reid, if he does have any hair left, he's going to be ripping it all out. In week two, it seemed like Mahomes got reamed out, and he really made a decisive effort to not make those incredibly risky plays. He looked good out there. And moving to Dallas. Dez looks like he's officially back to his old self from that foot injury. He was running really smooth throughout and finishing his catches with power. I'm going to have to move Dez back up in my, in my rankings, and as much as I hate him, I'm going to have to move Dak Prescott up in my rankings. <sighs> Quarterback 20 is just too low, unfortunately. Again, Indianapolis, Jack Doyle is going to be the only player that's not negatively impacted if Andrew Luck isn't there. Again, he was targeted early and often by Scott Tolzien. Back to Dallas. Alfred Morris is making a strong case 
for a running back by community, it seems, in Dallas without Zeke there during the suspension. He made some really nice runs, and he's kind of that one-cut runner that I think works really well in Dallas. Jerry Jones loves his Razorbacks, but I think it's a, at least split between those two guys, and there could be Rod Smith getting some work in there as well. Bryce Butler made some big plays. Some were called back, but this is this is a nice sign for a guy who's struggled to uh, to kind of cement himself into that starting lineup. I really hope he takes Terrence Williams' spot because he does have that deep play potential that Terrence Williams, he just doesn't seem to have. We just haven't seen Terrence Williams do it yet, and he's been in the league for a while. Marlon Mack impressed me, but his foot quickness did not. His feet were moving a little slower than you'd like to see one of those elusive backs going, and I think he could be more of a one-cut guy than one of the elusive players in space. So he probably, if Frank Gore goes down, he probably is not going to get a huge workload. But Amir Abdullah, on the other hand, he looked really quick. Unfortunately, that lined offensive line just doesn't seem like it's, it's created to run block. But he looks really quick. And if they use him similarly to how they use Riddick in the passing game, he's going to be in line for a big year. And again, if he stays healthy. Golden Tate showed off some really smooth routes. He should be, you know, back in that round four. He's, he's going to be a consistent 90-catch guy again. And Randall Cobb is getting a shout-out. He looked especially good. He got targeted pretty heavily, and he also looks his normal self on those improv plays. He's amazing on those improv plays with Aaron Rodgers scrambling around. And that Rodgers to Martellus Bennett touchdown, that had me wondering. It looked nice. But it made me think, how does this impact Devontae Adams? Because Martellus Bennett is a better weapon in the red zone. So we already expect some regression from Adams with Randall Cobb being healthy and the addition of Martellus Bennett. With Martellus Bennett in the red zone, I'm starting to wonder if Devontae Adams is draftable within the first six rounds. So that's, that's something to definitely keep your eye on. I'm overreacting with the rounds. But keep your eye on how they're using Devontae Adams. And let's go to Oakland because that Amari Cooper catch, that was amazing. I still think he is what he is, and that's not going to be, it's not going to be a common occurrence. It's not, he's not going to just turn into Odell Beckham this year, but that was an amazing catch. For LA, the Rams, Robert Woods seems to be the checkdown guy for Jared Goff, who surprisingly looked pretty decent. And I'm putting a lot of this into the effect of Sammy Watkins being there and opening up the field. The Sammy Watkins effect will be a theme in this episode. And moving on to Jared Goff, he looks like an Alex Smith, but I'm going to say that in a good way. He was making some pretty good decisions, and he put together a pretty good game. I mean, with the offense that he has there, it looks a lot better. It's going to come down to that offensive line to see if they can, they can keep him in a clean pocket and if they can make room for Gurley to run. Marshawn Lynch, he did not look as slow as I thought he would be. He looked pretty quick on his, yeah, I think he only had two runs, but he looked quick on those runs. The one cause for concern that I had is he just does not seem to have that lateral cut. It was never a really big part of his game. He was kind of always the guy that's going to run through you 
or run around you by going through you. But if he doesn't have that lateral step, he could be very, he could be limited in his effectiveness. And he could be really just a, a red zone goal line guy, short yardage guy. Cooper Cup is looking like he's the real deal for the Rams. This is, again, it's going to be the Watkins effect. And Cooper Cup is really, he's still probably the third option in that passing attack. But in Keepers and Dynasty, keep Cooper Cup on your radar. He's definitely worth a flyer. And I touched on Gurley before, and although he looked good, and there was a little bit more room to run, I'm saying that's the Watkins effect, Gurley was lacking some explosiveness that we saw from his rookie campaign, and we have to wonder if that's ever coming back. Gurley was really great at those at turning out those big plays. He's a big play threat. But if he doesn't have that threat, we're going to be looking at another season where he struggles to put together 100-yard games. I'm going to finish up in Oakland now. Uh, Jalen Richard, I just said he looks exactly like a younger Darren Sproles. He has that the body type. He has the quickness. He's behind Marshawn Lynch and DeAndre Washington, but if he gets the chance to work, he should be able to do a lot of fantasy production with limited work. He looks really good. Brian Hoyer in San Fran, his, his balls came out with a lot of zip. But what's concerning is his wide receivers just didn't seem, they didn't seem ready for the ball when it was coming. He's going to have to work on their, they're going to have to work on their timing and they're going to have to get that settled out before we call anyone in San Fran fantasy relevant. And Carlos Hyde was running smoothly in and out of his cuts, but still that offensive line, we wonder what we can really expect from that San Fran offense. Trevor Simeon. Looks like he has won the starting job in Denver. He looked decisive and confident out there. He was getting the ball out a lot quicker than last year. And he looks like he could sustain Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders as their top 24 to top 18 wide receivers that they've been traditionally finishing as. D'Angelo Henderson really stood out. He looked really shifty. He looked really good. I think he's going to supplant Jamal Charles as that third down elusive back, especially because we haven't seen any Jamal Charles yet. And Tariq Cohen in Chicago. Man, talk about elusive. He really made it happen with his, with his work. He looked electric out there. Jordan Howard is still the guy in that backfield. But I think we're kind of leaning towards Tariq Cohen being more of a handcuff than, than Jeremy Langford. And Jeremy Langford could be a cut. And finally, let's finish up week two. I do have a couple more games that I didn't get to. The game's on Sunday, and obviously this, uh, this Browns versus Giants game I couldn't get to. But this is the last positive note, is Mitchell Trubisky. He looked pretty good. I think he could be the day one starter in Chicago. Mike Lennon just looked awful again. Now let's look at who I saw and who disappointed me in week two. Dalvin Cook, he was unimpressive. He looked like he had really heavy feet, and he didn't really look like he had full body control. It could have been an issue with the field and the playing surface, but he was slipping a lot and going down. It looked like he was going down very easy. They were playing Seattle, so it could be a factor of intimidation, 
But that's really not what you want to see from a starting and feature running back. You don't want to see them intimidated by any defense. A couple more notes on Dalvin Cook is he did have a nice stretch run out there where he got he found himself in some open space. But he got completely stood up on runs. And I'm going to take a second to pause here because what I saw last year and what really sold me on Ezekiel Elliott when I thought, could he have the talent? is when he played against the Seattle Seahawks, and he had a really nice performance. I think it was like 12 rushes for 55 yards, something along those lines. But what really stood out is how he went, he went at Cam Chancellor. He did not back down, and Dalvin Cook seemed like he was kind of shying away from that. So I don't know if I'm fully buying in on Dalvin Cook, although, like I said, his volume could cement him into that top 24 running back if he does get those 275 touches like I think he could. Now I'm going to say this is a downgrade for both Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard. Again, this is the second time, so I'm saying this both in preseason game one and two because we saw Luke Stalker out there way too much again, so they could have a three tight end cycle going in there for two tight end sets, and that's just that's not what you want for fantasy football. Blake Bortles. In the Jacksonville game, this this Tampa Bay Jacksonville game, this was really like the uh, the mediocre Florida NFL bowl game. Um, Blake Bortles really looked good out there, but only when he was handing the ball off. I uh, I sent my resume into Jacksonville the other day. I told them I promise I will only hand the ball off. I will not throw a single pass, and they told me. I'm in strong contention for their starting quarterback job. So that's, that's really what's going on in, in Jacksonville. Let's be real. Derrick Henry failed to impress me again. Granted, if he gets the full workload, if anything happens to DeMarco, he will be very fantasy relevant. That's a really good offensive line, a good offense, and he should be in line for a good number of touchdowns. But I really want to see more out of him. He always seems to go down when he's hit. And it not even hit low. Whenever he's hit, he seems to go down so easily. It, it almost looks like he's top-heavy. And there was one, one stretch on the goal line. They went to him three times, and he got stuffed twice. And the third one was just a great job by the offensive line, and he walked in untouched. So I am just, I'm not buying in on the talent of Derrick Henry. Jaquiz Rogers was a jag again. I'm almost completely off the Jaquiz Rogers as a potential fill-in for Doug Martin ship. That's basically sailed. He might need 30 touches a game just to be fantasy relevant if he does get that starting job. And then on Jameis Winston, he made some really bad decisions out there, and that worries me. And the one that really sticks out for Jameis was that play where he was basically down. Like, it looked like he was down. He was basically parallel to the ground. But he still decided to throw the ball up. And I'm, was it, I think it was picked off. And then they said, what, his forward momentum stopped, so they called it down? He's made some really bad decisions out there. And if they're going with that run-heavy offense, like it looks like they will, like they did towards the end of last season, Jameis could have a pretty limited upside this year. So now, moving over to Tennessee, my note here, where's Richard Matthews? Earth to Richard Matthews. I didn't see him targeted. Is he going to be an impact in that offense, especially with Eric Decker, Corey Davis, and then Taewon Taylor was looking really good again? 
I don't know. So, Richard Matthews, I'm worried about his production. And that, in general, that Tennessee offensive line, they did not look quite as dominant against Carolina as they did in the first game. So, I don't know. It could have been played their, their game script. It could have been that they just looked good because they were playing against the, the second teamers, but they just didn't look quite as good. So, they might not be that number one PFF offensive line that we saw last year. But, again, don't make any conclusions. It's just preseason. Now, looking at Carolina... Jonathan Stewart. I think he could be completely out of a job if Christian McCaffrey can handle the full workload. Because of McCaffrey's size, he probably cannot handle a full workload, especially with everything that they're going to ask him to do out of the backfield. But Jonathan Stewart, he's officially a plotter now. He looked really slow. His cuts didn't seem effective at all. And, I mean, he's just a plotter now. Speaking of plotters, Jeremy Hill. He is the ultimate jag. He just looks slow. That's it. He, we're just waiting for, for Marvin to just give Mixon that job. Just get Jeremy Hill out of there. And looking at Kansas City, we too? Where the hell is Tyreek Hill? We expect him to be a, a wide receiver one, and then there were reports that came out that he could be more of a, a game plan dependent type of wide receiver for his production. And it really showed because he was not targeted all that much in that game. And that, that worries me if you're, if you're looking for him to be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two in fantasy. I don't really think that's going to happen if it's going to be this gameplay dependent. And Marvin Jones. Dis- despite that touchdown catch, which was really nice in that back corner, he did a, a nice little diving catch out of the back corner of the end zone, got, got the body down, got the feet in. Other than that, he really struggled to get open in this game, and he dropped a couple balls. So I wrote, could Kenny Galladay overtake him? I don't think that's really practical right now. But like last year, when we saw Marvin Jones really fall off a cliff after that week three, week four game, we could be seeing more of the same this year. And Bilal Powell, the Jets running back, He could not seem to find any open lanes while running. Was it the offensive line? Was it just, was it Bilal Powell? He's a a 29-year-old running back. I don't know. We're going to keep our eyes on this. But I'm just going to say right now, let's fade all Jets for now because their offense looks like it's really not going to produce much. Kirk Cousins looked really bad again. In the first two drives, there were no first downs for the Redskins. And this was against the Packers, who gave up a lot of passing yards last year. They gave up a lot through the air. The Redskins and Kirk Cousins not able to produce against the Packers. That's really worrisome for me. And this is building off of just a really disappointing week one as well. So Kirk Cousins, yeah, I'm, I'm moving him down a little. I know it's just preseason, but he's struggled. I'm moving him down. Jamal Williams, the Packers' rookie running back, he got the reps, but he couldn't really produce with him in that game. The, the rushing game, the Green Bay rushing game, it looked lackluster in general. And with Ty Montgomery reportedly dealing with sickle cell trait and leg injuries that are lingering, I, I fear that, that backfield could be kind of a fantasy wasteland. 
despite that potent offense. I'm not completely buying in on Jamal Williams yet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what he can do in these upcoming games. So again, we're not making any conclusions. Just know that Jamal Williams did not really impress. Rob Kelly, the Redskins running back, he's a Jag. That's, that's all the notes. That's all you need to know. He's a Jag. And Derek Carr. That interception he threw was terrible. It didn't look like there was a wide receiver within 15 yards of that ball. The Amari pass, that was also a really bad decision. Like, he just seems to be making really, really poor decisions, trying to make too much happen. And I wrote this down. He looks like he's trying to play Vegas, but they're still in Oakland. He looks like he's playing craps right now with those passes. So... He could be in line for a lot of interceptions if he doesn't like if he doesn't settle down and start settling down in the pocket and making smart throws. Paxton Lynch, Denver's quarterback, he does not look like an NFL quarterback. I mean, they must be really disappointed. They wasted a first round pick on him. I, mean, I don't want to say wasted yet, but right now it looks like they wasted the pick. Um, it does not look good for his NFL future. For the Bears, I wrote, where's Cameron Meredith? Like Robbie Anderson, he's supposed to be the wide receiver one in a not-so-great offense. And he's just not getting targeted. If you, When you look at those not-great offenses and wide receiver ones, you want to see them getting 120-plus targets. With him not getting targeted, especially in preseason, with a new quarterback and a new rookie quarterback, that worries me that they're not really trying to develop that chemistry early. And finally, this is my last note from week two, is on Carson Palmer's front leg when he's throwing. So not the leg that he's pushing his throws off with, but the leg that he swings forward. It looks very, very fidgety. And why this worries me is it could be because of an injury. Because remember, he tore that ACL. Because he looks so fidgety, I'm worried about the cliff. I'm worrying about that injury being the last one that he can really take in his NFL career. He might not be that great opening stream guy that guys like J.J. Zacharyson are building him up to be. I still like him for streaming, but if he doesn't look like he settles down and if he doesn't look confident in the pocket, it's, it's really time to set sail because they do not have any backup plans, and that's really, really going to hurt that that uh, Arizona Cardinals passing game. And it's going to impact David Johnson, too, because he's going to see more stacked boxes. Those are all of my notes from the first two weeks of preseason or the limited games in the first two weeks of preseason. I hope you guys take these to heart. I hope you guys were able to use these to make some of your own evaluations because that's really the important part of preseason is it's your eye test, and you want to see the guys that stand out to you. Because what you see and what I see, those could be two completely different things. But that's what I saw. It is going to impact my rankings because we are coming up on the big draft season. These next two weekends are the, the big weekends for drafts. So upcoming, I will have updated tiers. Tomorrow, we will be going over choosing your draft strategy as our primer and yeah, this, this one ran a little long. It took a little while to get through all those notes, but I do think they were important notes. If you guys do have 
any drafts coming up, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. It's at pyro underscore heartbeat, and that's at P-Y-R-O underscore H-A-R-T-B-E-A-T. And on the pyromaniac front, if you are a pyro pro, we have an option for you to submit specific questions to us, and we will be we will reply to them within 48 hours. And D-Rex is getting me on that, so I'll also be able to give you guys some advice on specific fantasy questions. And that's going to do it for today's show. Feel free to reach out with any questions, but until tomorrow, I'm the Heartbeat, and this was the Pyro Pulse Podcast. <laughs>